Welcome to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk AM 1150. It's so funny how conditioned I am to that song. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, I love that song. I've loved that song for a long time. It's Traveling Wilburys, End of the Line. Mm-hmm. And uh, every once in a while it'll come up if, if I'm doing like a random shuffle of all my songs or, you know, whatever, a CD or something, and it'll come up and I'll <laughs> it'll start. I'll be, oh, am I supposed to, what? You know, I'm like ready to start the show. You might even say you have a Pavlovic response, I, just I like do. Pavlov's dog <laughs> hearing the, the bell, right? That's may, right. May them salivate. And so Except they don't that, salivate. Well, hearing the tune yeah. puts you in the mind of doing the show. It sure does. It gets me, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh, ready to go. Well, you know, and that's, so let's see. Well, how many repetitions? I'll have to ask, um, perhaps I can ask my guest coming up in May, Brian Hare. Dr. Brian Hare is going to be back on the show May 13th. Um, I interviewed him a couple years ago. He's the author of a book called The Genius of Dogs and the founder of Dognition.com. Definitely check that out. Dognition.com. I recommend that website to a lot of my clients. Uh, They have a lot of really great exercises that you can do with your dog to learn about how your dog learns and lots of different aspects of that. But I'll be talking with Dr. Hare about um, sort of this question of, is your dog a genius? And I'm looking forward to that interview on May 13th, and that will be live here on KKNW, as we are every Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m. So I wanted to, since I just mentioned Dr. Brian Hare and Dognition, I just wanted to mention the SPARKS Conference, which is an acronym for the Society for the Promotion of Applied Research in Canine Science. Sparks. It's an annual international conference on dog behavior. And uh, this year, it is the uh, third annual conference, and it's going to be held this year in Phoenix, Arizona. And it's going to be June 19th through June 21st over that weekend. And if you would like more information, you can go to sparksinitiative.org and that's sparks s-p-a-r-c-s initiative.org really 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 awesome conference I've watched I attended the first one in person and then watched this um, live stream of the second one which was on the east coast last year and it's amazing so highly recommend that Uh, check that out sparksinitiative.org so um, wanted to let you know about our show partners pure air odor eliminator is on sale for the month of may at all pcc stores so for those of you who live locally here in gorgeous seattle pure air is on sale at pcc and then of course we love the natural pet pantry raw and cooked food for your dog or cat you can find them online at naturalpetpantry.com today i am replaying one of my favorite author interviews tom ryan who's the author of following Atticus. Enjoy that interview with Tom and Atticus. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. So uh, let's get going. We've got a lot to talk about with Tom. So we'll bring him on the show. Hi, Tom. Hi, Julie. Are we calling you? Are you in New Hampshire? Uh, We are. We're in the White Mountains, where we just got about 18 inches of snow today. Wow. Well, we um, was, you know, as I was reading your book, which I loved, by the way, um, you grew up in Medway, Massachusetts, which is like two towns over from where I grew up, which is called Medfield. 
I think Millis is in between the two towns. Is that right? And and Milford and Menden are on the other side. There's all those M's M's are in a row there. Yeah. And uh, and then you lived in um, Newburyport, Massachusetts, for years. And uh, my dad actually lived there for a couple years as well. And I've been to Newburyport too. So it was really fun to hear, especially all the stuff about that I had no idea about about uh, <laughs> Newburyport and the community and your paper, the Undertoad, and all that. It was really a neat uh, connection to have that um, as I was reading the book. So um, so tell us a little bit about. Um, your background and your, um, you know, the the undertoad and kind of how all that started. And then, you know, you wrote this book about your dog Atticus and your uh, adventures with him hiking and kind of how you fell in love with the mountains and and uh, shared that with him and shared those adventures with him. But the first part of your book, you talk about your um, this newspaper that you that you owned and wrote. Um, that basically talked about the community of Newburyport. That was a very dynamic community. So tell us a little bit about that backstory and, and that you had a um, a dog for just a couple of years, is that right, before Atticus? That sort about of, a year and a half. Yeah. Yes. So you you um, started this newspaper when you moved to Newburyport called The Undertow. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I moved to town uh, because I was in love with a woman, mm-hmm. and um, it, that relationship did not work out, but I stayed because of another woman. It, uh, we had our first woman mayor in Newburyport. It was 1995, and it was a great uh, era of gentrification. The mm-hmm. old was coming in. The old was fighting to hold on, and the new was fighting to get footing, footing in town. And the town was split 50-50, and a woman uh, was our mayor. First time was a two-year term, and she was running for re-election. And her opponent was a, a famous good old boy in the area who had been mayor for 10 straight years. And the only reason he was really running was because he wanted her out of office. Mm-hmm. She was an outsider. She was a woman. And worst of all to them, she was a lesbian. Uh, and I came in upon this time, and being Irish, uh, <laughs> an Irish Catholic background, I've never I've never avoided a fight, and I just <laughs> like to see... Uh, <laughs> I like to see... Uh, even odds, and it seems like they were picking on her for all the wrong reasons. They weren't going after her for being a bad mayor. They're going after her for personal reasons. So I mm-hmm. jumped in the fray uh, after living in town for a whole three days. And uh, as a new writer, uh, led us to the editor of both papers, the weekly and the uh, daily, uh, I was credited with helping sway the election to get her reelected. Mm-hmm. Uh, a year after that, I started my own paper, and I didn't realize how much. Uh, wonderful dirt there was in Newburyport, and so I started writing about it. Uh, there was great stuff, there was dirty stuff. Uh, to a new writer, it was all exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. And it had an impact. You talked about um, one day your garbage went missing, and, you know, I mean, it's got to be kind of risky to, to write a newspaper about the town, you know, the really exposing, not just talking about stuff uh, like surface stuff but really talking kind of about the drama it probably doesn't sit well with a lot of people no uh, the, the people that sat well with the most with the masses who had seen this thing go on for years and mm-hmm. years and years business as usual and the papers didn't cover it mm-hmm. and so when I uh, showed up I started listening to their stories and writing them and they were just they were as a fascinating uh, sociological experiment one of my friends would refer to it as my tires were slashed many times when chills smashed Wow. Um, death threats. Uh, my trash was 
taken and ended up being the police who were going through it, seeing what they could find on me because I'd been writing about their misdeeds through the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty heady. Uh, I didn't know anything about writing a newspaper, so I looked at people like Mike Barnacle in Boston or Molly Ivins down in Texas or Carl Hyacinth in Florida and said, I'm going to do what they do. But the problem is when we read those columnists to a national columnist, oftentimes we may have heard about the people they're writing about, but we don't know them. Mm-hmm. But I was writing just as vehemently, just as stridently, just as comically about all these people. But the difference is you knew them, you worked with them, they were your next-door neighbor, they were right. sitting on the city council with you. So the paper was much more personal, so the response was much more personal, positive and negatively. Mm-hmm. And so you um, you were, uh, you were had a dog, Maxwell G. Gillis, is that right? Your first Maxwell Garrison Gillis, yep. that's right. And uh, and he was a schnauzer, and uh, this now was he your first dog? Uh, first dog in years. I hadn't had a dog for years, and my landlord didn't allow one. Mm-hmm. And um, someone had contacted me from one of the city boards and said, "Please help us find this dog a home. Put an ad in your paper." And somehow or other, I typed, "I'll take your dog <laughs> instead." <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he, he was on a wanted dog, and I ended up with Max, plain old Max, but uh, Max soon grew into Maxwell. Mm-hmm. And uh, since I was a muckraking journalist, uh, two of my predecessors were Bossy Gillis, a former mayor, who wrote a paper called The Asbestos because it was too hot to handle, and uh, William Lloyd Garrison, who wrote The Liberator and played a part in the Civil War. So uh, plain old Max became Maxwell Garrison Gillis, and for a year and a half, he was my constant sidekick. Mm-hmm. He went everywhere I went. Mm, what a life for a dog to have. So as Yeah, for a neglected dog that was getting ready to be shipped up to a shelter and most likely it would not have been rescued and probably would have had, met his demise. So yeah. We found each other at the right time. Yeah. And so after Max passed, you sought out another schnauzer and uh, you have a this great relationship with the breeder that you talk about throughout the book and especially at the beginning as you're trying to kind of negotiate your relationship and you and Atticus are... Um, Sort of getting to know one another and and uh, establishing yourselves with each other. There was one story about when you try to leave him home alone, and he was like, "No, you need to take me." Yeah, Paige Foster was the breeder, uh, is the breeder, and she's this fascinating uh, Southern woman. Uh, with a, I mentioned Molly Ivan, she has that straight shoot from the hip accent and sage, sage advice. But uh, she spent most of her first few months laughing at me. I think this city boy who wasn't afraid to take on dirty cops and kept a baseball bat in the back seat of my car. And here I was being pushed around by a five- and six-month puppy. Yep. <laughs> Her advice in the beginning was to carry Atticus wherever you go mm-hmm. and uh, don't let anyone else hold him for the first month. That stretched into about two months because it was good for my broken heart of losing Max. Mm. And it worked so well between us. But when I decided one day I was going to leave him home and one time... Uh, he just decided that was not going to be the case, and uh, as you read in the book, he uh, he has his own way of rebelling, and like a lot of puppies will do, he uses uh, he used his poop. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, as Paige would say with much gleeful laughter, you broke the contract. <laughs> He's letting you know that he doesn't like that, mm-hmm. so uh, you got you you have to work this up between yourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of kind of convincing him. I'll take you with take you with me when I can, but sometimes you have to stay home. Yeah, I think because of Paige, one of the wonderful things, I I don't know anything about raising a dog, and I'm definitely not an expert uh, by any means, but one of the things I loved Paige's teaching 
me was just treat them as you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that worked very well for us. Perhaps it worked more so well for us because I worked out of my own apartment and he was with me all the time. Or maybe it's, as Paige says in the book, You got him. Yeah. See, you know, going on the book tour, Julie, uh, people ask you all kinds of questions, and I keep finding out more things about my story from the questions they ask me. Uh-huh. Uh, and one of them is, what's your book about? And as you've read the book, as, as my editor, Cassie Jones, says, there's a lot of layers to the story. It's like an onion. You keep peeling and peeling. There's father and son, there's mountains, there's nature, there's man, there's dog, there's uh, city versus country, there's uh, transformation of one person. Uh but I like to think that at the core of our story is a, a bit of a theme of selflessness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you read the story, you read about Paige and her unfortunate life at times, and she uh, was not the happiest of life, but she ended up giving up the one dog she'd never wanted to give up mm. to a man she never met uh, because she felt I needed him more than she did. Mm-hmm. And later that will play a part. Uh, Atticus will exhibit his own selflessness throughout the story mm-hmm. later on. Yeah. Well, it is. It's gonna. We're gonna take a quick break here in, in uh, just a few seconds. But it is such a great story. Like you said, there's so many aspects of it. Another thing too would be, um, like you mentioned, the you know nature and relationship between a, a person and his dog, and um, and also you talk a few times about, um, especially in the winter time, um, your sort of inner demons coming out and um, you know f- confronting that fear and. It's just there, there's a lot to it, and it's a great a great book, and um, we're going to talk more about the story. But let's take a quick break right now. We'll be back in just a few minutes. We're talking with Tom Ryan, who's the author of Following Atticus. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to Dr. Bill Burlingame, we cover the world of animals. This week, May 3rd, it's Shelter Rescue Sanctuary and Anything That Helps Our Animal Friends Sunday. We'll talk about the birds at Mollywood, Macaw Rescue and Sanctuary, and the ongoing Stolen Birds investigation. We'll find out what's up with Albreed Equine Rescue, and of course, the latest news and developments in the ongoing saga of the elephants, bamboo, and chai. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Pure Air's powerful formula lets you eliminate pet odors safely. It's strong enough to effectively get rid of smells like urine, plus stronger odors like those that can be caused by illness. Pure Air is safe enough to spray directly onto people, animals, or use in the bath or laundry. Pure Air is perfect for dealing with dire situations, refreshing your dog between baths, or just before company comes. 
Pure Air is the most effective product you can buy to remove stinky pet odors safely. Find it at stores like Mud Bay, McClendon's, and Natural Pet Pantry, or visit their website, pureair.com. That's pure, A-Y-R-E, dot com. I'm Julie Forbes, host of The Dog Show. Pure Air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. Real people, real life, real radio. Really. Alternative Talk 1150. Good in a minute, man. She faced the bullet, oh, she faced the knife. Just to keep my butt from a frying pan. Now she's running up ahead to chase some deer. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And we're back talking with Tom Ryan, who's the author of Following Atticus. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you. So Atticus is a miniature schnauzer, and he's currently nine and a half years old. And um, when you're writing about these adventures of of how you took on this um, personal challenge uh, for both you and Atticus to climb all 48 of the over 4,000 foot peaks in New Hampshire in the White Mountains, and that this was a you know brand new thing for you and, and your body, and and uh, that you had Atticus kind of to share this adventure with. Um, so, the, I'm from New England, and I, I grew up in Massachusetts. We spent a lot of time in New Hampshire as kids. Um, you know, you talk a lot about your dad in the book and kind of uh, his appreciation for the mountains. And I remember my dad having sort of fascinations with specific mountains, especially. And we spent a lot of time up in the White Mountains. And uh, they're smaller. So, you know, the, we're in Seattle. The, the This show here is based in Seattle. Have you ever been out to the Northwest, Tom? No, we haven't. If you're a mountain man, it's, it is gorgeous. Um it's the the mountains. I mean, they're huge. They're they're much bigger. They're different than the, than uh, New England mountains. But something to appreciate, I think, about the White Mountains and especially Mount Washington is that there's some of the most severe weather on the planet, especially in Mount Washington. And I think you said until recently, the highest winds ever recorded on the planet were on the top of Mount Washington. It was like 231 miles per hour or something like that. Yeah, correct. And the average the average conditions in winter are. Uh, five degrees with 45 mile an hour winds. Mm. Uh, so it, it can be severe. A lot of people come here to train to get ready to go climb the higher mountains in the world. Right, like Everest and, and right. those, right. So they are smaller mountains, but they, uh, they're they certainly um, certainly mountains to respect. And you and Atticus first started climbing all 48 of the four, over 4,000 foot peaks together, and you did this in the summer, the first the first round. And you guys got a lot of, um, you talk a lot about how you don't, you and Atticus don't look like, um, you know, mountain climbers and, and how you sort of got that reaction from people and especially people, there was one story where uh, somebody stopped you thinking, you know, telling you that Atticus was too small. Right. Uh, I always say to the audiences, you may not know this by looking at us, but one of us is too big, the other one's too small, we're not your typical mountaineers. And we aren't. Uh, uh, you know, I have the double chin, the belly, and Atticus is not what you would consider your typical mountain dog. But luckily uh, for us, it's like starting a newspaper. In a small town, ignorance can be bliss. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't know your limitations, know, know what you can't. 
can't do. Uh, you just go by what feels right. Mm-hmm. We were towards the end of our first summer, the first summers you talked about, we hiked all 48,000 footers in 11 weeks. Mm. And towards the tail end of that, we were on our way up Mount Jefferson, which is the third highest peak. And we were going heading up a direct but somewhat steep trail. And someone stopped me on our way up there, and he said, you can't bring that little dog up there. And I said, well, why not? He said, he's too small. It's, it's not safe. He, he can't go up there. Mm-hmm. And he started lecturing, <laughs> lecturing me, and poor Atticus sat and watched as he always does and listened, head back and forth like he's watching a tennis match. And I was respectful, but uh, finally the fellow said, have you, ever, have you even hiked a 4,000-foot peak yet? And I had admitted, no, we're new. We're new to this, but yeah, we've hiked a 4,000-foot. He said, well, how many have you done? And I said, well, we've done about 45 in the last uh, 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that was enough to stop them. I, I think one of the things that people have to remember, uh, and I always, I love this, is, you know, limitations are something we put on ourselves. Atticus is not considered your typical mountain dog, but he loved the mountains. He loved being in them, and he showed an aptitude for handling them. Um, I enjoyed being there. I uh was safe and how I handled them. And so we may not fit other people's expectations of what uh, a couple of hikers should look like, but it didn't stop us from going. And um, there was their hang-ups, not ours, more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And most people were, were were intrigued and thrilled to see people, a person and a dog who may not be your typical person achieving some things we were achieving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you wrote, he's, he said, you're new to hiking, aren't you? Like he were talking to a child and, yes. you're, and you're like yes we started a couple months ago and he says that's what I thought I've been hiking for several years I'm almost done with the 48 your dog really is too small to hike <laughs> has he hiked a 40,000 footer yet and you pause this will be our 42nd 4,000 footer in the past 10 weeks and then you say that the guy blushed and nodded and moved along and then you said if Atticus could have I believe he would have given me a high five <laughs> Like, yep, don't well, judge me. We had me. a lot of those responses, yeah. especially that, that summer. And then it got even worse in the winter, if you, as you might imagine. Oh, yeah. Uh, one one dog had ever hiked all the 4,000 footers in winter in New Hampshire at the time. It was a Newfoundland. Of course. 160-pound <laughs> Newfoundland. And uh, here with this middle-aged, out of, out of shape um, uh, newspaper editor uh, with a paralyzing fear of heights. Mm-hmm. And a miniature schnauzer were taking on the winter whites, uh, trying to hike all 48 uh, in the same time same we did them in summer. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, I think that it's a, I, you know, working with dogs in Seattle with, you know, training and behavior, a lot of what I look at is uh, are the dog's needs being met energetically because that's a lot of times why behavioral problems will come up, excessive barking or anxiety or, you know, aggression it's because they're pent up, and I think the mistake people make with little dogs is that they think they don't need exercise. And, you know, you've kind of got the op- the opposite end of that where you have had it. You guys were doing, you know, hikes practically every day, you know, climbing mountains. You, know, you did a ridiculous amount of climbs in a short period of time together. And that little dogs can be very hardy and very athletic and are totally capable and really love being out for hikes. And to, you know, I think people don't maybe meet little dogs' needs as much as they could when we talk about being outside and really enjoying that aspect of being outside. Well, one of the things you talk about doing as a trainer and follow up your website is uh, you, dogs have personalities, too. 
I mean, some person's going to want to run the Boston Marathon, another person's going to want to shop. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be, both can be fulfilling for each person. Uh, both can be fulfilling for the, for the person. So some dogs might want to sit inside and be lap dogs. Other dogs might want to be more active. Um, activity is important for all, all of them, I believe, but um, if Atticus didn't take to hiking the mountains, we never would have returned the, first, the second time. Right. Uh, uh, we were just looking for something we could do together, mm-hmm. and he seemed to really enjoy it. So we continued going, and if there came a point where he didn't do it, enjoy it, we would we would have stopped. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I really appreciated throughout the book: how you talked about how you really listened to him, and especially in the winter time, there were a few times when he was like, "Nope," you know, you you pulled up in your car, you got there, and he. Well, there was one time I think he got out of the car and was like, no way, man, too cold, and got back in. And who knows why, but you were Within like... Within about five seconds' time, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and you were like, okay, we're not going. And then I think there was another time you had... It was like the third day in a row, and, and he was tired, and you're like, okay. Like you said, you would never f- have forced him to do it if he if you didn't feel like he really wanted to be there. And it was clear that he did, for the most part, but that you did listen to him. And I think that that's something important that again, that a lot of people don't necessarily do with their dogs is really listen to them as individuals and kind of respect their wishes at times, because they do have there, them. There's a controversy here. Uh, if you hike all the 48,000 footers, the Appalachian Mountain Club awards you a, a patch and a scroll saying you finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, dogs are allowed to uh, apply for their... People with the dogs can, can apply for their dogs' uh, patches and scrolls as well in the summer months, but they in the winter they won't do it. Only one dog had done in the winter, and then they decided it was too dangerous. Mm. And a lot of people who hike with dogs have talked to me because become somewhat prominent, saying, "Would you please fight for our rights to get a patch and a scroll for our dog in the winter months?" And I say, and I, I think I confuse them because I say, "No," because <laughs> um, a lot of the people I see not not all of them, but a lot of people I see. Uh, force their dogs to do too much, mm-hmm. uh, and they don't pay attention to uh, their dog's needs. Uh, one man said he was going up one of our peaks. It was called Bond Cliff in the middle of winter. And the wind was howling, and it was freezing, probably 10 below zero, and who knows what the wind chill was. And he, his dog was cowering. It was a big dog, and he said he wouldn't go, so I had to kick him. Mm. He said, what would you have done in that situation? I said, I would have kicked you. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, so it's a... Uh, I think the most important thing when you do something like this that's out, in the, out of the ordinary and on the edge uh, with a dog you love, it's with a friend you love. Yeah. Uh, you, put, you put them in a position to succeed. You choose the right days, you choose the right path, and you pay attention to their needs. If they're thirsty, you're watching them. If they're cold, you're watching them. There was a couple of peaks. We were moving along fine, but Atticus was cold, and uh, I chose to turn back because I didn't want him shivering. So you have mm-hmm. to pay attention to everything. Yeah. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk more with Tom Ryan, who's the author of Following Atticus. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. One evening as the sun went down and the jungle fire was burning. Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full-service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. 
Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, call us at 206 329-0253 or email info at jetcityanimalclinic.com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet, a local family practice. Jetcityanimalclinic.com. This is Julie Forbes, dog training behavior and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's dog behavior behavior training and nutrition specialist www.sensitivedog.com it's better than a sharp stick in the eye way better alternative talk 1150 besides the crystal fountains so come with me we'll go and see the big rock candy mountains in the big rock candy mountains there's a land welcome back to the dog show with julie forbes you're listening to alternative talk 1150 a.m and we are back with tom ryan who's the author of following atticus welcome back tom thank you and happy thanksgiving everyone (laughs) so so we're just before break if you're just tuning in um Tom's written a book about his uh, hiking partnership with his dog, Atticus, who is a miniature schnauzer, and how they hiked, uh, started with this endeavor to hike all 48 of the 4,000, above 4,000 foot peaks in um, the White Mountains in New England. And that sort of evolved into other, other endeavors as well, which we'll talk about um, one of the themes that you've talked about that we were we were kind of touching on before break was how you really viewed um, or you really view your relationship and stress and emphasize that your relationship with Atticus is a friendship that you don't view yourself as a, as an owner. And you told a story right before break about um, someone who was sharing a story about his dog and that the dog wouldn't go on the hike and, um, you know, didn't want to go. And so he kicked him or something like that. Yes, he was trying to get him to climb above tree line, and the dog was afraid and cowering because the winds were roaring and mm-hmm. it was slippery and bad conditions. And the fellow kicked him, and he said to me, uh, "And in that situation, what would you have done?" Mm-hmm. I said, "It would have kicked you." Yeah, I know. I've just like ugh, stories like that. There's nothing that gets me amped up more. Um, but the point is that, uh, and we were talking a bit earlier too about how it's important to listen to your dog and that. You know, there were times when you, when Atticus didn't, was very clearly not wanting to go on the hike, and so you didn't go. And you said, I was told by those who argued that dogs don't belong on the trails in winter, that dogs don't know the difference between a bad day and a good one, and that they'll go wherever their owners go. But I never had that problem. Atticus always had a say, just as he always had in our life together. And if he felt he didn't want to go on a hike, he was never forced to. Um and that's just such a great thing to put out there for people to get and to really listen to their dog because, the you know, sometimes, and you said, you know, potentially that could have kept you safe just listening to Atticus's instinct. 
Right. I mean, by age, by listen, you hike with a dog. Dogs maybe made more, maybe made more for nature than we are in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're like children at times. They're our responsibility. Uh, we have to look out for their best interest. Mm-hmm. I, I, Atticus has saved in summer, of course. I, one summer day, we went to hike one of our easier four thousand footers. It's Mount Hale. It's only a four point four mile round trip, mm-hmm. and, the, and about a third of the way into the trail, up the trail, there's a very small stream you can leap across. And Atticus and I have both leapt across it many times. We've climbed it probably 15, 16 times now. Mm-hmm. But one summer day we get there, it had just finished raining, and we got there, and this stream was running high and it was running loud, and I jumped across, and I was surprised that he didn't. And he stopped on the other side, and he just sat down on a rock. Mm-hmm. So I jumped back to off to pick him up, and he laid down. His signal to me was, I don't want to go across. Mm-hmm. So we turned back and went home. Mm-hmm. The next day we came back. The stream was still running high. I jumped across. He didn't. Same thing. I went to pick him up. He lay down. So we went home. The third day I jumped across. He did too. So our dogs are it's just like friends. They, and I always think about the Seinfeld episodes where they're at a party. They give each other a signal when they want to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, your dogs will give you the same signals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a friend. If you pay close enough attention and think of them as something other than an accessory, mm-hmm. uh, you're halfway there. Mm-hmm. And this whole thing, like man's best friend, and oh, you know, dogs are man's best friend, and you know, this is this phrase has been said for you know ages. Well, what about the other way around? You know, are we our dogs' best friends? Really, if you ask the dog, I think a lot of people assume yes, of course. You know, oh, my, my dog loves me. Like it's just an assumed thing. I pick the dog. And automatically the dog just loves me and I don't have to do anything to to be a good friend to my dog other than just to receive the dog's love. I mean, it's sort of like this egocentric thing. And it, I think it's important to really ask, are we being our dog's best friends? If you ask your dog, you know, how many things a day does your dog get to look forward to? Or does your dog just kind of sit at home while you're at work and then it's just there, you know? So it's a really important point, I think, and as the relationship between people and dogs evolves, as it has over thousands and thousands of years, especially currently, it seems to be evolving rapidly. So important to kind of look at that perspective. Now, I want to talk about your uh, winter quest for a cure. Okay. Um, and so this was for uh, a friend of yours in Newburyport who you regularly visited with as you did your rounds for your newspaper, Vicki Pearson. So tell us about that. Uh, Vicky, uh, at the age of 50, did the uh, three-day cancer walk, 60 miles. Mm-hmm. It was the toughest thing she ever did. Um, as fate would have it, and it's weird twist, as fate can do, uh, a few months later, Vicky was diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. and she was terminal. And she asked uh, if Atticus and I would come see her in her hospital room, and I went in there to see her, and she said, listen, I have a husband who's lovely, I have a son who's lovely, I have friends who are good, but I don't think I can tell them the story of my life. I want to tell you the story of my life. Mm. And so for the next week or so, Atticus and I visited her early morning before visiting hours. And He would sit on her bed, and she would feed him treats and pat his ears, and he would comfort her, and I would listen and take notes, and she told me the story of her life. And finally, she said, I want you to know why I'm telling you. And I said, because you want me to write an article? And she said, no, uh, because you and Atticus, are going to give my eulogy at the front of the church when I die. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um, I, I guess family or friends or whoever decided for Vicki after she died 
decided it was improper for a controversial muckraking newspaper editor to give the eulogy, so they asked a uh, more notable bank president to do it and disregarded her wishes. Mm. Uh, Atticus and I, in true Vicky fashion, skipped the funeral. We went walking on the beach, which she would have loved. Mm. She would have skipped her own funeral. She could have, too. But I felt I'd let my friend down, and I really struggled for months and months and mm. months how I was going to pay tribute to her. Mm-hmm. She had uh, entrusted me with some things. That's the one thing I could do for her. Mm-hmm. And one day we were driving up to the White Mountains and we're listening to the annual Jimmy Fund uh, radiothon that takes place every year. Uh, and in New England, the Jimmy Fund is a big thing, as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, kids with cancer. Mm-hmm. And the Red Sox are tied in with it. And we were listening to this thing, and I was thinking about Vicki because she had run for school committee just before she died. Mm-hmm. Uh, she loved kids and wanted to help them. And I was driving up through the mountains and watching and listening to these great stories of the kids with cancer, some three years old, who mm-hmm. were talking about fighting cancers if they were talking about going across the street to get an ice cream cone. Mm-hmm. And then other parents talking about losing a three-year-old kid and how heartbreaking both the sides of the stories were, mm-hmm. if you're human at all. Mm-hmm. And right about, right about that time, driving north with tears running down my cheeks, I thought of my friend Vicky, who loved kids, and I saw the mountains, and I decided that... She, Atticus and I would try to do something like Vicky had done mm-hmm. with their three-day cancer walk. We'd attempt to do what only one person had ever done. We'd attempt to hike each of the 48 peaks twice in the 90 days of winter, so 96 peaks in 90 days, mm. to raise money for the Jimmy Fund and Dana-Farber Cancer, cancer Institute mm-hmm. in, in her name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. you wrote about Vicky. Um, what made Vicky so precious was that, well, she was impressed by nature and flowers and dogs and pretty much everything that is natural. She wasn't impressed by people who were impressed with themselves. <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, Dana Farber, uh, my mom is an ovarian cancer survivor, and she was uh, spent some time in Dana Farber for her infusions, for chemo and stuff, and she used to go down to the... the uh, children's floor she said anytime i ever started to feel sorry for myself i'd go down and go down to where the kids with cancer were and and it just gives you a different perspective it's really something else it's an extraordinary place and with a lot of extraordinary people on both sides uh, the healers and the ones who need healing Mm -hmm. they trade off back and forth so um you talk a lot in the book about or a few times throughout um um times at night in the winter when you felt scared and how they were times where, um, you know, you talk about kind of facing your fears and sort of your inner demons um, kind of coming out and and uh, facing those fears and that when you face the fear and let it be, it tends to go away. Whereas if you run from it, it tends to feel bigger. Um, right. And you talk about the witch um, or the, um, you know, where you hear branches crackling and your imagination starts to go, go, and how you just felt a couple times that you just sort of stopped and sat and and stayed with the feeling, and that then you felt better. And it was, a, of course, always nice to have Atticus with you when you're in the middle of the woods and it's dark and it's winter time. Yeah, that's funny when a twenty twenty pound dog is not afraid, but the two hundred fifty pound man is. Yeah. Um, it helps to have that security blanket. Yeah. You, there is a, um, well, you wrote, um, it is any wonder why many of those who were thought to be prophets throughout history found their peace wandering the desert, climbing mountains, or out at sea. 
it's the natural world that heals the soul. And, um, you know, it's just great that you had the awareness to go and, and search that out for yourself and find that. And it's something that uh, we certainly disconnect from, I think, with how fast everything moves and how you can do five different things all at once from your phone and everything's faster, 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 faster. And it seems to be something that I see dogs teach us or remind us really how to be present and how to slow down when you're working with a dog or, you know, training a dog or working a dog through a behavioral problem. You have to be present to the dog and you have to know how to listen. And that requires you be slow down and you don't multitask, that you're just doing the one thing. And the dogs know. I mean, you can't fool the dog. You're either present or you're not, and they totally know. Yeah, it, it comes down to one thing, Julie. It comes down to simplifying your life. Uh, you can do that with a dog. I mean, if you pay attention to the dog's rhythms, uh, then you start to fall in line with it. Uh, you can learn great things watching your dog do nothing. Mm-hmm. You wrote, uh, the deepest level of communication is not communication, but communion. It's the wordless um, and, you know, that's absolutely with dogs. Dogs aren't verbal. And we tend to just sort of blah, 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 blah at the dogs. Talk, 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 talk. And we're not aware about how we're holding our bodies or what we're doing, like what we're actually doing. Are our actions in line with what we're saying? And we just sort of get caught up in our heads and we forget about all the other ways that we also pick up on communication that are really powerful. You know, actions speak louder than words. No, there's so much that's said between the lines. Uh, mm-hmm. The majority of communication is between the lines. And that quote you read, it comes from Thomas Merton, the monk, uh, and it's just a beautiful thing. He was talking about people, but I, I, I'd like to think he was talking about any any two souls connecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that same thing, as you know, because you work with dogs all the time and you work with people with dogs, uh, that that connection is true. Mm-hmm. And even more so because the words don't mean as much. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back talking more with Tom Ryan, who's the author of Following Atticus. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. Hey, dog show fans. Does something stink in your home or car? Pure Air is a powerful odor eliminator that is the only natural food-grade product in its category. It works on bedding, kennels, litter boxes, urine, vomit, poop, even skunk spray. You know, all the fun smells our pets bring into our home. It's so non-toxic that you can literally eat it, a requirement for our home and our dogs. Spray Pure Air on anything you can put water on and let your nose watch the odor disappear. Ask for Pure Air in stores that specialize in natural, non-toxic products for home. Or visit DogRadioShow.com for a link to their website. I'm Julie Forbes, your host of The Dog Show. Pure Air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, New York Times columnist and best-selling author Frank Bruni. Also, Audrey Levitano tells the story of how she built her woman-powered farm Manual for a Sustainable Lifestyle from Homestead to Field. Keep up with show news on Facebook at Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair and listen to podcasts at conversationslive.net. And don't forget to tune in live every Monday at noon here on Alternative Talk 1150. This is Alternative Talk 1150. Got it? Cool. Dogs are the best. 
Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And we're back talking with Tom Ryan, who's the author of Following Atticus. And if you've missed any part of this interview or would like to hear any of our shows, uh, you can find us online at www.dogradioshow.com. And we are also available as a free audio podcast on iTunes, so you can download any of our shows um, and take them with you, perhaps as you walk your dog. And uh, Eric and I, Eric, our booth engineer, and I always like to say, it's a great day to walk your dog, isn't it? To, yeah, but yeah. today you today, want to bundle up. Today it's, it's <laughs> choking that one out today. But I was actually was out for pretty much most of the morning today in the weather. It's really just about having the proper clothing, I think. Sure. And maybe a dog jacket. Maybe little boots. Yeah. Well, Atticus had, had little booties. So we're back talking with Tom Ryan, who's the author of Following Atticus. So, Tom, um, you had a great experience with, um, with Cassie Jones, who's with William Morrow, uh, a sub- subdivision of HarperCollins, is that right? Right. Okay. Uh, she's my editor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she's worked with a lot of great writers. And one of the things I was a little concerned with when I was interviewing with uh, the four different publishing houses that were bidding for the rights to produce our book, to publish our book, mm-hmm. was that they would be able to keep the integrity, integrity of uh, the quality of our life together. So mm-hmm. Atticus would not be, quote-unquote, pimped out. He would be treated with the same respect he's always been re- treated with. Mm-hmm. And during our first 40-minute interview, uh, I think 20 minutes of the conversation, I think Cassie and Seal Ballinger, the head of publicity, were a little bit surprised. I, I didn't care what the book looked like. I didn't care how many pictures we were going to have. When it was coming out, I just wanted to make sure that we put Atticus's needs first and foremost when we went on tour and anything having to do with marketing. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I think they were taken back, but I also think they got a lesson in what the book was really really about before they read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, from the beginning, Cassie got it. Uh, in the book, we never used the word for myself. I never considered myself Atticus's owner. Mm-hmm. He's not my dog. Uh, it's it, it, They never used uh, Tom Ryan and his dog. It was Tom and Atticus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Ryan and former newspaper man, Atticus M. Finch, Minister Schnauzer, mm-hmm. and if it's Ryan, it's Finch. And for all marketing, for all publicity, whenever I brought this up, they never flinched one bit. Matter of fact, they got it. And it got to the point where Cassie would correct other people at mm-hmm. this huge publishing house saying, well, no, no, it, it, it has to be Tom and Atticus. It can't be Tom and his dog. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that because it's an extension of the way we live our life. It might be weird to some people, uh, but more than anything, they're saying, well, if you're not his owner, what are you? And I said, well, can we just use the word friend? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it's worked well for us, and I really applaud them. Uh, they they publish so many books a year, and they publish it for who knows how many years. Yeah. And here's this unknown author coming along and saying it's important to me that we don't... Uh, that we hold the integrity of what we stand for between ourselves, our friendship. And they got it right away, and, they, and they've held it up, so I appreciate that. Mm. And that's how you can find Tom and Atticus online, is you can just Google Tom and Atticus... Um, you can also find them on Facebook, uh, following Atticus Book. They have a Facebook fan page. You can find them there as well. Um, but you guys have a blog, and um, so just search Tom and Atticus, and uh, and that'll bring you to them. And I will also post. There's also a um, a really nice video trailer for the book that you can find on YouTube and on our website, which is www.dogradioshow.com. It's an excellent book. Um, 
you know, the, the story about your relationship with your dog, your personal story is, is very, very interesting. Um, your story about your relationship with your dad and about your, you know, your experiences on all your hikes. And it's just a wonderful book. I love uh, one aspect of this radio show that I love are the books that I get to read as a result of this and the people I get to talk to. So thank you. It's called Following Atticus, and you can find them online again if you just Google Tom and Atticus. Um, that'll bring you right to them, and uh, also check out that YouTube trailer. That was a um, a cool video as well to kind of get to see the man and dog in action. So you're raising money for uh, your winter quest for a cure by hiking all of the peaks twice in the winter in like 90 days or something, 96 hikes in 90 days. Um, and your intense stories about uh, being in the being in the woods and and hiking, especially in the winter. You had this one story that where you um, came across somebody because you sort of became you and Atticus or Atticus especially sort of became famous after right. you know all of the posting on the various local uh, community websites, the hiking websites and stuff like that, and with your fundraiser, and so you began to be recognizable, especially Atticus. And there was one time that you told a guy that it wasn't you and Atticus. No. <laughs> I wasn't ready to give up. We, we, in Newburyport, everyone knew us, and it, we were a big fish in a very small fish tank. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was great to find anonymity when we went to the mountains. Mm. And I found it slipping away, and this fellow was kind of, he was enthusiastic, but he was sort of, he came at a time, sort of jumped out of the woods and caught me off guard, and mm. I just, I wanted to hold on to that peacefulness and that anonymity one more minute. Yeah, interrupted you in your hike. And he was very enthusiastic. I can't believe it. My friends are going to die. And had his camera out and all this stuff, and you're like, no, this is sparky. <laughs> <laughs> after after the, the, book, the week after the book came out, uh, someone was driving around here in Jackson, and the woman pulled over the car full of older people, and they, they said, are you Tom and Atticus? And I went to hesitate, and she said, I know you're not Mike and Sparky. <laughs> I just read the book, and Ooh. I was like, damn, I have to come up yeah. with a new name. <laughs> Can't do that. Anymore. Do you live in Jackson? Uh, we do. Oh, man. So weird. We had a house in Jackson on Black Mountain. Oh, yeah, we're, you know, we're probably about two miles from there. Yeah, and uh, Atitash and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, the Alpine Slide. That's fun. No, we're, we're, we're blessed to live where we do, yeah. uh, not just the mountains, but also in Jackson. We've yeah. been embraced very well and we we spoke at a local church uh, recently uh, in north conway well just last week last thursday with 300 people and mm. it's just the community has really embraced our story so well i encourage you to take your story to the pacific northwest because we are mountain lovers out here and uh, would love to meet you in person if you're ever in the area well that's why we're giving cassie jones a plug so our editor can now go talk to publicity to get us out there right yes absolutely um well, Tom, it's been wonderful to talk to you today. Thanks so much for your t- for, for thank you to you and Atticus for your time today, because I am sure Atticus is still right with you. His head is on my lap. He was yeah. on the snow today, so he's comfortable. Well, I hope he enjoyed the interview as well. And um, again, this book is called Following Atticus. Uh, I'm assuming Amazon. Uh, Everybody. Yep. Wherever I find books, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Powell's, or where we do most of our shopping, or else all our book shopping, independent bookstores. Right. Uh, Following Atticus by Tom Ryan. It's it's a wonderful read, um, a great story, a great adventure, and, um, and you can find them online again 
Uh, just Google Tom and Atticus, and that will get you to them. And you can also find them on Facebook. Of course, you can find us on Facebook as well. Just search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, and you can be a part of our conversation in between our live shows every Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m. I do, you know, comments in my own life and work with dogs and post my favorite dog videos and share links of other organizations and all that good stuff, too. So, and, and, you know, Julie, I think uh, during that uh, interview, we made reference to how cold it was and how it might be a tough day to take your dog for a walk. But boy, not today. A, not today. Nope. Absolutely gorgeous day to take your dog for a walk. It is. Beautiful Seattle spring. One of the, um, I took a picture. I found this um, gigantic tulip while I was out working with a dog, a new dog called, um, that I'm training, is um, she's a Kai Ken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Never my first Kai Ken. Yeah, sort of like a cousin to the Shiba Inu, Japanese breed. Um, adorable. And her name is Aki, and she's a blast. Anyway, I was out walking with her, and um, I found this gigantic tulip. Spring in Seattle is something to behold, that is for sure. If you've missed any part of this interview or any of our over 300 episodes, you can find them all online in a few different places. You can go to our website which is www.dogradioshow.com. That's dogradioshow.com. You can go to iTunes and download all of our episodes as a free audio podcast. Just go to iTunes and search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And uh, I also post our interviews um, that started more recently that I've been posting them on our Facebook page as well. So that's another reason to find us on Facebook. Just search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes and... um, You can listen to our interviews very easily just through our posts. You just click play, and then it'll start playing through SoundCloud. So how about that? So again, um, I mentioned earlier the Sparks Conference that I've been promoting the past couple years. Just an amazing gathering of um, scientists in the world of canine behavior. This year, Sparks is in Phoenix, Arizona, and it's June 19th through the 21st. You can visit sparksinitiative.org for more information Thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes.